This episode is brought to you by Galactic Fed, the award-winning digital marketing agency that I personally use and whose co-founders have both been interviewed on The Maverick Show, Zach Boyette and Irina Popik. Now, I personally use Galactic Fed for search engine optimization and conversion rate optimization, but they also offer services for email marketing, social media, website design, paid media, and more. They're basically a full-service end-to-end growth marketing solution. And they were founded by two digital nomads as a fully remote company, which now has 150 staff in 27 countries, so they understand remote entrepreneurs. What I love about working with Galactic Fed is, first of all, their team is fun and amazing, and I'm smiling and laughing on pretty much every call that we have, but I also love their scientific approach to growth marketing. They've worked with companies of all sizes and industries, ranging from edible arrangement to PixArt, and they've developed battle-tested digital marketing solutions that produce results that are scalable and repeatable. And Galactic Fed now wants to help you grow your business. They're offering you a completely free marketing plan for your business, which you can get at galacticfed.com. That's galacticfed.com. And if you do decide to work with them, like I do, just mention The Maverick Show and you'll get 10% off your first month of services. To learn more and get your completely free marketing plan, just go to galacticfed.com. That's galacticfed.com. And now here's a clip from what's coming up on today's episode. I intentionally have a surrounding who are people from different backgrounds, totally different cultures, who are my mentors, who are my coaches, to get like various different perspectives and really help me to understand different perspectives as well. So whenever you can surround yourself with people from other cultures, it's not easy, right? It's not the easy way. And it's not the most comfortable way because there's always misunderstandings. There are always situations where you're like, huh? But then going back to like, okay, it's different and not right or wrong thinking. And then at the end of the day, it's so worth it. And it opens your mind and it's just beautiful. is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Sarah Rapp. She is a global advocate for equal rights a world traveler, and the founder of How to Be Global, an initiative which aims to connect the world by lowering boundaries, reducing fear of other cultures, and embracing diversity. She is an ambassador for the UN Foundation's Equal Everywhere campaign for gender equality, and she serves as the senior manager of alumni and marketing campaigns at JA Worldwide, which is a 100-year-old NGO that has served over 100 million youth around the world. She is also the head of PR at Nomads Giving Back and Nomad Skillshare. And she hosts the How to Be Global podcast. Originally from Germany, Sarah has now traveled to over 45 countries. Sarah, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much. I mean, listening to my own intro, I'm like, oh my God, that is a lot of things in a lot of different countries. I'm like, God, that's very interesting to hear it from someone else's perspective. So thank you so much for having me. So good to have you here. You and I have been meaning to have this conversation for quite some time, and I'm so glad that we're finally doing it today. Let's just start off, though, and talk about where we are recording this from today, because unfortunately, we are not in person. I am actually in Chicago, Illinois today in the United States. And where are you? I am talking about Global Traveler. I am in Mexico right now, in Mexico City. Very excited to be here, waiting for my 14-day out of the EU to be able to actually access the U.S. So my final destination is Boston. So I'll be there on Sunday. Wow, how cool. We should definitely chat about that. I want to hear about your plans in the U.S. and how long you're going to be here. Maybe we can cross paths while you're in town. That would be fun. Totally. (laughs) How long have you been in Mexico? CDMX, by the way, is one of my favorite cities in the world. I mean, what a spectacular place. I'd love to hear your reflections on it and what you've thought of it so far. Totally. I love Mexico. I have like, it's one of my top countries, top city. The people are amazing. I'm eating too many tacos, drinking too many of the like sugary things, which are also spicy at the same time. And I've been here two weeks now. And I'm very fortunate that I also have friends here in Mexico. So I get like the real Mexican experience while I'm here, which is very exciting. And it's my First overseas travel, I think for a lot of us in like one and a half or two years. So I'm even more excited to be abroad. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, the other place that I want to ask you about that I know you were fairly recently is Albania. Mm. Yep. I have been to the Balkan region. I've spent a couple months in uh, Belgrade in Serbia. I have been through Croatia. I've been to Montenegro. I've been to Mostar in Bosnia, but I have not been to Albania. I've heard amazing things. It's super high on my list. And you and I, of course, follow each other on Instagram. So I was watching your travels through that. I was super (laughs) excited because we haven't talked since you went there. So I'd love to hear your reflections on Albania. Totally. So it's probably a coincidence that like in this year where we kind of somehow are able to travel in you know certain restrictions again i've been to my two favorite countries which are mexico and albania i mean i sincerely do not understand why people don't go there right it's not a popular destination at all but literally in the north it looks like switzerland it has high mountains they're incredible the nature is so untouched because not a lot of people go there and then if you go down the coast right there's like croatia and obviously Greece, which are totally packed with tourists, but the same coastline is in Albania, which is amazing. And it was just wonderful. And I was actually traveling 10 days and did the entire country from like north to south and then back up in 10 days, which was beautiful. It was very hot, to be honest. Like that was maybe the only downside. It was super hot, but otherwise it was amazing. That's amazing. I was in the region in 2019, just a few months before the pandemic, because I went to Macedonia with one of my best friends is Macedonian and has family there. And so him and his family are based in the United States. And, you know, they go back to Macedonia every year to visit the relatives and everything. And so I was able to meet him there and just spend this incredible quality time with local folks in Macedonia. And we're just drinking wine, sitting under vineyards and just like looking at lakes and just hiking around and eating amazing tomatoes and cheese and incredible food from the region and what a special place. But Albania, very, very high on my list, even higher now hearing your explanation of it. Yeah, (laughs) totally recommended. Also, everything you said, hiking, good food, 
wine, local things, you get all in Albania too. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I want to hear a little bit about your sort of origin story. I'd love to go all the way back because you were born and raised in Germany. Correct. And I would love to hear a little bit about your upbringing, where in Germany you were raised, what your upbringing was like. And when you think back, how did your interest in travel mm -hmm. and seeing other cultures, where did that sort of come from initially? So when I grew up back in Germany, in the south of Germany, very close to the Swiss border, actually. So I grew up in a very, how I call it, German, German environment. So all the Germans will laugh now because they exactly know what I'm talking about. It's like German food, German parents, grandparents, all the way, like everyone, right? Like you, I feel like you can dig into like all the ancestors and whoever, all the Germans. So that's pretty much how I grew up. So no cultures involved, no nothing very small town. And I was actually not interested at all in any international things. I hated English in school. I hated French in school. I almost didn't pass a class because of my English, because it was so bad. And I was in school like, I never need to do anything in English. I'm like, why would I need to learn this? Well, here we go. 10 years later, <laughs> only doing global things. Don't want to go back to Germany, right? So just fast forward. But when I grew up, I don't know, I was never exposed to any other cultures, right? So I was just in my German bubble. And this is what I usually talk about with how to be global. Everyone has their bubble and you're comfortable in it. And you don't necessarily look outside because why? You have pretty much everything talking about white privilege. I know that you and your podcast always like try to like bring up this white privilege because we have it, right? We don't necessarily chose to have it, but that's just a fact. And I think so many people don't know and don't recognize that they have it and don't do good with it, right? Because I think there's so many things you can do good with that. But what happened then is I um, studied in Stuttgart. So some of you might know a bigger city in Germany. I went uh, moved out of my parents' house when I was 19. And that was kind of the first time where I was a bit more exposed to other cultures because it was working in sports. So in a sports federation, and we had giant international events. And there, obviously, a lot of people from abroad came, like the, the athletes and the coaches and whatnot. And then I felt like, hmm, this is actually cool. You know, I like to communicate with those. And then I realized, oh, I should maybe learn English properly. I mean, I had it in school, but I really sucked at it. So I actually took private lessons, right? I paid for it myself. I bought all these grammar books, which I never did in school myself, and then learned English in that way. And also um, what added even more on that is, my current job at JA Worldwide, so I'm an alumna of the program. So I also took part in this program in school where you actually create your own startup and it's a global network. So after I finished that, I was also part of the European network where I also got to know a lot of people from other cultures. So it all started kind of when I finished school and then so ever since then, I really loved it. So let's talk a little bit about JA Worldwide. Can you say what that stands for? And then tell us a little bit about this, the organization, the scope of it, what it does. And also, I'm really curious about how you decided to participate in the program initially. And what was your experience like as a participant before you started working for them? Yeah, so... I feel we could do a whole other podcast season, probably, on my experience with JA Worldwide because it literally changed my life. And I'm not saying this because I work for them. They don't pay me for these things, right? So JA stands for Junior Achievement. So probably where you are, there is an office because we are in 115 countries around the world. So very widespread. And our flagship program is called the JA Company Program. 
So what that means is in school, when you're approximately like 16 to 17 years old, you have, well, the task to actually create a company with real money, real products or services. So you have to come up with like, who is the CEO? Who is the CMO? Who does sales? Who does what? And then you have to produce or create something, which at the end of the day, you will sell to end consumers. So that's the whole project, which is pretty cool because who learns in school how to actually create a marketing plan or to like pay out some like salaries for your employees. So when we finished our school year, I was very interested in this whole Well, back then I had no idea that this is entrepreneurship, right? I was just like, this was really cool. That sounds amazing that you can do something practical. That was me, 16 year old. I'm like, I want to do more. And then there was an innovation camp where I actually participated, which was far away from my hometown in Cologne, actually. And that's where I met more of how I now see like-minded people who are entrepreneurs themselves now. I mean, to be honest, just change the world to the better in whatever industry or field they are. So This is how I got to know the alumni network. And ever since I've been volunteering for the alumni network, was heading up the European alumni network. Back then we had already 25,000 people. And then four years ago, my role, my current role actually to create these alumni networks around the world wasn't existing before. So this was really cool. They said, hey, we're going to hire you and you're going to make that work around the world. And I'm like, okay, (laughs) let's figure out how that works. And now four years in, We now have like over 70 alumni networks around the world in 70 countries and so many more to come. Well, I also want to hear a little bit about the development of your political consciousness through perhaps your travel experiences or other things that contributed to that. And starting as far back as you can remember as well, because I'm always very interested in this. You and I have a lot in common, right? I mean, I also grew up in a very homogenous, white, upper middle class, privileged suburb in the United States, very culturally insular, And then you and I both were able to eventually get on a track where we became very passionate about human rights and anti-racism and feminism and class inequality and all of those things. And then that led us into the international arena and all that kind of stuff. So I'm always super, really, really interested to hear from other people how that journey went for them, what kind of sparked that in the beginning. And can you share a little bit about that path, starting as far back as you can remember? Yeah, totally. Actually, I can remember very far back. It also has to do with Albania, because the thing I remember now, obviously, because I've been talking so much about culture and like why German culture is most probably not the most open to the world and all of that kind of stuff. So I just remember that I was very small, maybe four years, I don't know, four or five, probably. So next to our house in Germany, there was a old like factory and they then refurbished it into a refugee home for people from Albania, because obviously back then it was kind of after the war and it was still like politically unstable. So we had a lot of refugees right next to our house. And I remember we had a fence in our garden and I was playing there. So I must've been very young. And I just remember that my parents were like, My grandma and everybody said, oh, don't go there. Don't play with them. But I obviously didn't understand the reason, right? And I just remember that there was another girl I was always like playing with, but probably we didn't obviously speak with each other because she spoke Elaine and I'm German. And this was kind of like from the very start. So I wouldn't consider my parents as obviously the racist or something like this, but there's so many stereotypes and biases, which are there and you don't even realize when you don't talk about them, right? Also for my parents, they're now much more open-minded since I'm so much more out there in the world. And I'm bringing this like, hey, they are just like actual humans. You know, (laughs) it's like 
they're humans. It's not necessarily what the media tells you. These are people just in another place of the world might have different values. But at the end of the day, we're all just human beings who want to survive and be happy in this world, right? So this was very young. And then I think while I was traveling, a lot of the times, especially in the beginning, you have a lot of culture shocks. I don't necessarily like the word shock, actually, because it always is negative. And I don't think it's negative. I think it's very healthy, actually, to get these, quote, culture shocks, because then you rethink on like, oh, well, I thought this is right and this is wrong. But the more you travel, the more you experience, I'm sure you can say the same, the more you realize there's no right or wrong. It's just like different. I mean, you not necessarily want to agree with everything other people do, but you just accept it as like, well, that's different. It might not work for myself, but it's great if it works for them. And then as you continue to travel the world, I mean, I would love to hear a little bit about how some of those travel experiences impacted you, some of the major experiences that you think sort of helped to shape the course of your life and the decisions that you made and the trajectory that you went on. What comes to mind? Oh, so many. Honestly, this is where we come back to JA Worldwide or JA in general, right? On a lot of countries, because luckily also in my voluntary role on the European level, it was voluntary, but we got to travel, right? We had a lot of conferences. I was able to speak at the EU, you know, the EU commission, which is amazing when it was like 22 or something, you know, which is like, wow, I'm at the EU commission. Like what the hell is going on, right? All the travel experiences were amazing within Europe. But once I traveled outside the EU, I'm like, oh my God, this is a whole new world, right? Because within Europe, we have a lot of different cultures, but the core ideas are quite similar, right? But then when you travel to like a country in Africa or to the Philippines, I mean, this is obviously totally different culture. And I remember the first time I went to the US was actually in 2017. It it doesn't sound too far away, right? That was my first overseas trip. And then now I'm like all over the place all the time. I think the classic reaction was like, this is like a movie, right? It was actually to Atlanta, you know, all over all the places, like everything is huge. And I'm like, wow, this is like proper downtown, how you see it in all those movies, right? So this was the first thing. And then right after I went to Mexico, actually, which was obviously amazing because I love the Mexican culture so much because there's so much more open and like all the friends and family and everything, like everybody's dancing all the time. So this really, really shaped on who I am because I feel like wherever I go, I literally just take small pieces, which I think, oh, this is amazing. I really want to incorporate that into my life. And then I'll just take them with me, right? And also incorporate them in wherever I live around the world. Well, I know that you spent a bunch of time on the island of Malta Mm. as well. And I wanted to ask you about that. I spent about a month in Malta, Mm -hmm. which was just a fascinating, super interesting experience. I mean, for folks that don't know Malta, I mean, this is an island nation in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, which is just absolutely unique in so many ways and so different from anything that I had seen. And you spent like four years in Malta. I would love to hear a little bit about your reflections on that experience, but also for folks that have never been to Malta or don't know much about it, Mm -hmm. why should folks go visit Malta as well? Yeah. So first and foremost, to clarify, also for Europeans, Malta is its own country, right? Everyone's like, oh, you've been to Italy. I'm like, oh, no, it's actually like Malta. They're like, oh, yeah, Italy. I'm like, no, no, (laughs) it's an own country. It's very tiny. As you mentioned, it's in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. It has 450,000 people. That's it, right? 100,000 of those are foreigners. So 
not a lot of people, but there's also not a lot of space. So how I ended up there, I was working five and a half years in Germany and I felt since I'm 16, I wanted to leave Germany. I'm like, I don't think this is my place to be or right now, I don't know. But then I did it, you know, studies and work and whatnot. But then I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm going to leave Germany. And then I applied for jobs everywhere in Europe, except of German speaking countries. So I'm like, well, that's at least something. So I don't have like to choose between a great offer in Germany and somewhere else. Right. And then I got a random, very random job offer in Malta, which is also sports related. Um, And then I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll just go. And if I don't like it, I'll just go back. That's obviously the beauty of the EU that you can literally just take your luggage and move to a new country. So I ended up there. It was very, very nice. It's obviously totally different climate. So be aware, don't come in August. It's too hot. <laughs> like The AC is your best friend. You're going to sit in a coffee shop all day long because you're going to die outside. But there's so much culture on the island because they actually have underground hermits. There's so much cultural heritage because literally every country around was once ruling Malta, like everyone. If you think, nope, all of them were there. So there's like a lot of history because it's a very strategic location in the Mediterranean Sea. It's right in between the Middle East and Europe and North Africa, right? So I was there. It's beautiful because it's also very international, English speaking, which is very helpful for international purposes. And then obviously it's an island state. So a lot of companies are coming to an island to maybe or maybe not save taxes, right? Let's just say that. (laughs) Yeah. And the history is absolutely unbelievable. And like going like way back, like when St. Paul, the apostle was shipwrecked on the island of Malta, held as a prisoner and like going to the back to the Odyssey when Odysseus was allegedly held captive by the Calypso as a sex slave on the, on the, I know. And you can like go see the place where this supposedly happened. Right. And then the art history there, the, the, the history of Caravaggio in Malta is like one of the most fascinating pieces of art history. They have his only, I believe it's the only painting he ever signed, Mm -hmm. which is in St. John's cathedral in Valletta, right? The beheading of John the Baptist. You can't take pictures of it or anything. You just kind of like go, you like tiptoe in and like, you know, no cameras allowed. But like, I mean, what an amazingly fascinating place. The mm-hmm. architecture, totally unique. I mean, like it was super fascinating place. Yeah. And then on top of everything, it has this, what I call lovely Mediterranean chaos to it. Right. <laughs> so it's not at all organized, but it works. That's the beauty, right? They're like too many cars. They're driving too crazy. Everybody's hogging the horn. Everyone's late all the time, but they're amazing. The people are amazing. But obviously for everybody who is who likes to be very organized and very structured, Malta might not be the ideal place for you to like live all the time. But once you get used to it, like, you know, me coming from Germany, it's not common to be like 45 minutes late for dinner. In the beginning, I did reservations in the restaurant because I felt like, okay, you know, nobody does that. Let me book a table. And then everybody was late. So I was constantly calling the restaurant. I'm like, I'm so sorry. We're running 30 minutes late. And they were like, why are you calling us? <laughs> Probably because we're running late, right? So even the, the restaurant staff is so used to, the, I think they look weird at you if you're actually on time for your reservation. So just as a quick side fact from Malta. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it's like right in the middle of the Mediterranean. It's maybe a 90-minute boat ride from Sicily. I mean, you can get to some other absolutely incredible places from Malta. So really, really cool place to post up. Well, I also want to ask you about some of your other world travels. I know you spent some time in Africa, and you and I both have a shared love for Accra in Ghana. I spent about a month in Accra in 2019, and just fell in love with the city. I mean, what an extraordinary place. And I would love to hear about your experiences in Ghana and what ended up coming out of that. Yeah, totally. So the first time I traveled to Africa was actually Ghana. And it was in 2018. And me, it was all for work. So most of my quote, world travel things were for work. So I was, I'm very fortunate to have a job where I actually go to the places, explore with locals and help them on the ground, establish their networks, right? Which is so powerful because there's no one solution for all of that. You have to get used to like, well, there's no internet. We're like, okay, yeah, we're going to switch to something else, right? So I went to Ghana and this was honestly the first time for me where I saw like real poverty, right? I mean, we also have poverty in Europe and other places, but like real, real poverty. And what was crazy, even after the conference, which is obviously like in the fanciest hotel in Accra, I always take more days in the country because I'm like, listen, this is great. Amazing. But I want to see the real country. You know, I want to meet the people. I want to see whatever is happening here. So then they said, oh, you have to go to a quote, tourist attraction, which literally was Jamestown. So if you've been in Accra, you know, Jamestown, right? And I'm like, okay, let's go there. I had no idea what this quote, tourist attraction is all about. So pretty much for everybody who doesn't know, it's in Accra, in the capital of Ghana, right at the seafront. And it's a very, very, very poor area. There are also some markets, but there are a lot of orphans because their parents are fishermen, right? And they go out to the sea. But unfortunately, oftentimes the sea is too rough and then they just literally don't come back. So there's like a bunch of kids, orphans running around with like no chances in life. So when I stood there and I'm like, so first of all, why is this called a tourist attraction, right? And then second of all, how can I help? That was my first reaction. I'm like, the orphans, because with How To Be Global, my goal is to like help everyone get a voice, give people a platform to speak up and, you know, like be empowered to actually say what they want to say and really stand up for what they believe in. And I'm like, the orphans, they don't even have parents. Like there's no one. So then I was there and I'm like, okay, so how am I going to do this? So I literally just took out my phone, did an Instagram story. And I'm like, I'm here. I have no idea how, but I want to bring those kids in school or like help them or do something. Right. And I started a fundraiser actually on the ground while I was there. And like, here's a fundraiser. Let's donate money. I'll, I'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm like, I can't promise you where this money goes. I don't know what is going to happen, but I'll make sure that these kids have a better future. So that was one year went back home and had the fundraiser for an entire year because I knew I'm going to back one year later. So I'm like, let me gather money and collect money for one entire year. And I got around like 4,500 euros, which is not too shabby actually for no actual, <laughs> like, this is what we donate the money for. So everybody literally just trusted me and said, okay, Sarah, here's money. Just do something. And then in the meantime, luckily I have also from our J location there, there's also an alum who had a, an organization called Educom.World in Ghana and in the US. And they offer education programs to especially underprivileged and trying to give educational access to a lot more people. And I'm like, hey, listen, let's partner on this. So what we did actually one year later 
we found a school in Jamestown, Accra. So it's kind of like a, I would call it preschool. So they literally bring the orphans into their school and teach them whatever they need to learn, like writing, math, anything to then actually place them in school because the orphans, right? They don't have any education. Like even if they're 12 years old, they can't write and read because from where? So, and luckily I was so happy that we could actually bring 35 orphans. So in full school, we could pay for entire year for them. They got books, they got clothes, they have food in the school. And this is what, how the Hallaby Global Scholarships, how we called them in the end, were born. And then we had actually some money left. And with this money, we were supporting single mothers because I ended up with my colleague from Ghana on Good Morning Ghana on the TV show. Don't even ask how that happened. So we were in Accra talking about the How to Be Global Scholarships on TV. <laughs> I have no idea how this all happened. And then we did kind of a call to action to all the single parents out there who need support. And then literally our phones were ringing while we were on TV. And then we could support also 50 single mothers with at least something, right? So they could get their kids into school. So awesome. So can you give us a little more context on how to be global and maybe just take us back a little bit and talk about what was the impetus for starting how to be global initially? And then what is the vision and mission and what is how to be global? Totally. So as you can see, my life went from German, German, everything to global all over the place, right? And I kind of went into this fully global world as probably everyone in the beginning on like very excited on like, oh my God, this is so cool. But then you slowly realize, oh my God, there's so many challenges. Can someone like help me navigate through this global thing? Because people get offended because they have different values, different backgrounds. If you're in a work meeting, if someone shows up late, the Germans are mad. <laughs> like The Italians are mad if the Germans write mad. You know, this it's like a whole mess. I mean, it's a cool mess, but it's still a mess. And then I was kind of searching for solutions on like, is there anyone who's like kind of bringing all this information together or like guiding people through? And I found a lot of different things, but not like one thing where you can learn how to be global, seriously. And this is where I'm like, okay, you know what? Let me start with a podcast because in the beginning I felt like maybe it's me. I'm like, I need to check first if it's me or if it's an actual problem which is existing out there. So what I did for an entire year, I was interviewing a lot of people from honestly various different backgrounds, people who work internationally, expats, digital nomads, people who have organizations, like all kind of different contacts, but all with the global aspect to it. And what I found out is, well, it's a real problem, right? So people were more connected than ever through social media and whatnot, but also the cross-culture communication is not getting any better. <laughs> Everybody's just saying whatever they believe in and no, you're right and I'm wrong or the other way around. But this cross-culture communication, which is so crucial for us to move forward, there's not a lot of awareness about this topic that we need this communication because otherwise we will just hate each other <laughs> because we believe in different things. And this is honestly why I started it. And now after a year, I'm excited to start soon season two, which will be a bit more focused on various topics, a bit more on like also my social channels, educating about different topics. It's less about getting the big picture, more on zooming in on different and various topics all around helping people to find their voice in this world and make sure that we all understand each other. <laughs> That's awesome. So one of the amazing things that I love about hosting a podcast is how much I learn 
from my guests. I just invite super fascinating, brilliant people on and I just ask them questions and I just learn things all day long. And you have now done something like a hundred episodes of the How yep. to Be Global podcast and had fascinating guests on from all over the world. And I'm wondering, as you reflect back on those first hundred episodes, what are some of the things that you have learned from your guests, things that maybe stood out or when you think back on the whole series, how did you grow as a person from things that you learned from your guests? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I think one general thing I learned is how to talk to people in a more meaningful way, right? What usually happens is if you're not, quote, trained in it to talk to a lot of people, I interview someone, you're always trying to like, you ask a question and then you rephrase the question and then you rephrase it again because you think for whatever reason, the person didn't understand what you wanted to say, but you don't even give the people this room to breathe for a sec <laughs> to like actually answer your question, right? And this is something which you can use for everything. Now, also in work meetings, I'm not afraid anymore of this like, well, some people call it an awkward pause. I think it's a very healthy pause, right? So like asking a question, give people two seconds to like breathe, reflect on whatever I said, and then they come up with an answer, right? This is just a very practical approach, which has nothing to do with like how to be global, but just generally. And I think one other big learning was before I started the podcast and also my friends back in Germany, most of the time I felt that I'm called the weirdo. There were so many different things in my head going on. And there's so many things going on all the time. I'm also very creative that a lot of people, they just didn't understand what the heck I'm doing, right? Or what I want to do or what I want to achieve and why I want to connect with so many people. So it was felt a bit like, hmm, not sure if this is like, I don't know. It felt a bit off. But then connecting with people with like this global mindset, I'm like, these are my people. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I know, you know, all the time in the podcast, I'm like, exactly. I was like, thank God someone else is thinking the same thing as I do. And it could just be like small things and like going back home after a long time into your own culture where you grew up and you feel like totally like, why would we even do this? Right. And then everything is just upside down. So this was one of the biggest learnings that no matter what you're interested in, no matter what you believe in, there is someone else out there who believes the same, right? You just need to find, quote, your people. And in my case, well, they're all across the world because I love this global mindset. So the people I'm close with are not like physically close, but they're just like close, you know, on a screen somewhere else in the world. <laughs> I also want to ask you a little bit about how you got involved with the UN Foundation's mm -hmm. Equal Everywhere campaign regarding global gender equality initiatives. Can you share a little bit about how you got involved with that and then what the scope and mission of the campaign is? Yeah, it's so cool. I feel like it's probably the dream of all global-minded people to somehow be involved with the UN, right? So when this happened, I was like, oh my God, what in the world is going on? So actually when I started the scholarships, this is when it connected also with a friend of mine who was connected with the UN, you know, like how it works in a network. And they were looking for people to feature on this Equal Everywhere campaign. So it's a yearly campaign, which talks about gender equality first, but how I interpreted it, which they really loved, is like Equal Everywhere in terms of like, literally everywhere, right? Not necessarily gender, but like the whole thing. Obviously, since I'm a woman, this is obviously, you know, I can for sure also speak up for women's rights, but I'm also more like, hey, 
let's just include everyone in this like equal everywhere. And then it was pretty cool because it was a social media campaign where how to be global scholarships got featured. And then also some videos where we literally just spoke up from various different areas around the world, various different people using the hashtag and creating this momentum and movement about equal everywhere, which is very exciting to be part of this. And it's a yearly thing, which is ongoing. So I'm very excited to have this coming up every year. That is so awesome. And of course, I also have to ask you about Nomads Giving Back. Oh, yes. <laughs> Our mutual friend, Tarek Hulusi, who Maverick Show listeners know because he's been on the podcast before, who founded Nomads Giving Back and is a very dear friend of both of ours. But I would love to hear a little bit about how you got involved with Nomads Giving Back, what your role is there, and actually maybe just start for people that have never heard of Nomads Giving Back. Just talk a little bit about what the organization is and what it does. Totally. So also fun fact, this all happened because of How to Be Global. Because in the How to Be Global podcast, as you might know, Matt, right, we're constantly looking for great people to interview in like various different areas. So it was literally just scrolling through Instagram, using some hashtags and be like, hey, I think it could be really cool to interview some digital nomads who are like in one place for three months and then move to the next and whatever. So then I found on Instagram, nomads giving back. And what I read in the profile just resonated with me. They're like, we're an organization. And we want to make sure that the nomads, no matter where they are in the world, actually give back and have an impact, right? So they are what we do. I mean, now I can say we, right? <laughs> we are connecting digital nomads or everyone who considers themselves as a nomad, right? With local organizations on the ground for like volunteering or whatever the local organization needs. So they tie in with the actual on the ground, how the world works there. Because a lot of times... There are a lot of expats in some area, but they stick with each other, right? It's like this expat community within a local community, but we're breaking up these boundaries to make sure that we help the country wherever they live in. And then, you know, the country also benefits from foreigners coming to their country. So what happened is I literally just reached out. This is also an advice for everyone. Just reach out to people, like reach out on social media, just ask if they say no, well, that's great. But I ask them like, hey, I would love to have you on the podcast. And then I had Bianca, who was head of impact on the show. And then obviously how it goes, I followed her. I followed them. It's giving back. And then they had a volunteer job opening on head of marketing and advocacy. And I'm like, well, that sounds like me. <laughs> so I had actually, it wasn't even a, like an actual interview with Tarek you just mentioned. And for everybody who didn't listen to the episode, go back and listen. It's really, really cool. We'll link it up in the show notes to this episode so they can go back and listen to that one. I agree. It was a great episode. Yeah, it's so cool. So pretty much what happened, we just chatted for like two hours. And at the end of the two hours, we literally had our marketing campaign for Nomads Giving Back and Nomads Skillshare ready. And then he's like, okay, so I think you're in the team. And I'm like, hold on a minute. Like, how did that happen? So this was um, almost a year ago now, and I've been with them ever since. And uh, just recently, I shifted my role from head of marketing and advocacy more into the PR side, right, on really making sure that this great cause of Nomads Giving Back is brought to the world and also Nomads Skillshare, where we teach aspiring nomads or people who want to become a digital nomad on how to actually do it because there's such a huge demand out there. And obviously, while bringing all those two organizations together, the more people are digital nomads, the bigger impact we can have at the end of the day, obviously. That is so awesome. Well, I want to ask some of your tips in terms of approaching some of this advocacy work, particularly folks that are trying to approach it from a privileged position, right? 
And as you do that, you obviously spent a number of years now, you know, in the space. And I'm curious about your reflections and tips that you have for folks, particularly, for example, when doing work in Africa, for example, there are these sort of tropes about the white savior complex and ways that we can sometimes inadvertently, right? Like well-meaning people can inadvertently reinforce representations of Africa, that it's all people in poverty and that's all Africa is. And, you know, this kind of, you know, these types of racialized images and things like that. So I'm curious where you've sort of arrived in terms of contributing and affecting positive change and also doing that in an empowering way for the folks that you're working with. What advice do you have on how to navigate that? That's such a great and also very important question. And honestly, the question I struggle the most with, probably out of all the things in this space, there's always this fine line on what you said presenting yourself as like, I'm saving everyone. And on the other hand, not understanding what is actually going on on the ground, right? So I think my best tips would be, I say this all the time when I give a keynote, especially to younger people, always switch out your stereotypes or your things you think about the country with curiosity. Because I think if you approach things with a very curious mind and you ask, you know, if something is not quote normal for you instead of like judging or be like, huh, what is this? Just be very curious and like be open-minded and also vulnerable to the other communities. I'm like, Hey, I noticed you're doing this very different than I'm used to. Like, what is this all about? And what I figured when you go about this like that with a very open mind, people are so happy to like let you into the culture, explain you all the things and are very happy to explain you on how it works on their end, for example. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I think that also lends itself to providing agency to people to define the terms of their own struggle and the challenges that they want to overcome on their terms, as opposed to somebody from the outside coming in and saying, clearly, these are the specific things that you're being oppressed by. And these are what you and people yeah. might be like, no, actually, I'm not really at all concerned about this first three things at all, or whatever it may be. And so I think empowering folks with the agency to define the terms of their own struggle, and then seeing how we can act in solidarity totally to support those folks as opposed to trying to come in and save people or impose mm -hmm. our whatever it may be kind of Western cultural solutions onto them or like whatever it may be. And instead to go in and to learn and to listen and then to be an ally and to be able to act in solidarity. Yeah. And I think also the word ally is so important because you don't know what you don't know, right? When I started my journey, I wasn't really aware of like white privilege because it's just there. So you have to unlearn certain structures you're used to. And you also sometimes just have to take a step back and be like, okay, it's a thing, right? And it's not easy. The journey, I just wanted to clarify this, this journey is not easy. Like you have to educate yourself. And there's a lot of things where you're like, oh my God, what is this? Why did I think this? So you're going through a, a journey yourself where you're like, oh my God. And I think one great advice is also, I had an incredible mentor and I'm still in contact with her. I love her dearly. She's called Glow Graphics on Instagram. She's now really big. I'm so excited for her. She's just been on TV as well. And she's a person of color, right? So I intentionally have a surrounding who are people from different backgrounds, totally different cultures, who are my mentors, who are my coaches, to get like various different perspectives and really help 
me to understand different perspectives as well. So whenever you can surround yourself with people from other cultures, it's not easy, right? It's not the easy way and it's not the most comfortable way because there's always misunderstandings. There are always situations where you're like, huh? But then going back to like, okay, it's different and not right or wrong thinking. And then at the end of the day, it's so worth it and it opens your mind and it's just beautiful. Yeah, totally agree with that. So Sarah, as you reflect back on all of your travel experiences now, and you've been to like 45 different countries and you've interacted with so many different types of people all around the world, what would you say has been the transformative impact of travel on your life as you've kind of grown as a person now, especially over the last you know five years or so as a itinerant world traveler, what would you say has been the transformative impact or maybe a couple things that, you know, you can point to that how travel has really shaped your life? Yeah. One is I'm very flexible. There's not a lot of things which can actually, I'm fine with everything. I'm like, we'll figure it out. It's going to be fine because when you go to different places, things work so differently. So I feel like I'm so, well, not a calm person, but inside I'm very calm and I'm like, okay, here's the situation. It's going to be fine. (laughs) I just don't know how, but it's going to be fine at the end of the day. I mean, this starts with like delayed airplanes, sleeping on an airport at the middle of the night, not knowing where and when you're going to go into the next airplane. This is like with eating food on streets in the middle of nowhere where you don't know what you're really eating, (laughs) but you're like, okay, this is just what it is. You know, or like me being now almost vegetarian, now being in Mexico, I'm like, well, and a vegetarian is not a thing here. So I'll just be non-vegetarian for two weeks. It's just like this flexibility, which just makes life so much easier, honestly, because you can adapt to situation much easier. Doesn't mean that situations are easy, but you're just much more calm and much more peaceful within you. You literally figure it out on the way. So that's one. And I actually just literally said it the other week to my best friend. I feel so relieved that no matter where I go, everybody still has stereotypes, right? That's just the thing. Like they're existing. You can't get rid of all of them. But now I go to a place and I go to a place with a very positive mind because I'm very curious about other people. Or especially, I think, growing up in Germany, when you quote see people from the Arab world, how some Germans classify the entire Middle East, where I'm like, hold on, <laughs> there's so many different countries. You can't just say the Arab world because it's not a thing, right? They're so different. But they are obviously sometimes considered as like, you have to be careful because of all the terrorism and whatnot, right? So it's the whole stereotype about this. But now I'm so open-minded and I'm just very curious on talking to people from all kinds of different cultures. I'm not scared if someone talks in a different language or if there's a group of men sitting in a cafe in Albania, which is totally normal there, right? Like men just go and grab a coffee and that's why there's a big group of men, for example. So these are like two major things which shaped my way of thinking. And do you think that it was going to those particular places that you had been socialized to view in a particular way growing up in Germany, but countries where you were really kind of inoculated with a lot of fear about those particular places or kind of racialized views that they're either they're dangerous or they're in some other way problematic? Was it actually going there and just interacting with people and learning from them and just having those conversations you think that created that impact for you? Totally. I would a thousand percent agree. Going to the places where you think 
Ooh, I don't know. It's the same with Albania, right? Like when I told my parents, I think it was three years ago, I'm going to Albania. They're like, why would you go to Albania? Isn't there a war kind of thing, right? I mean, it wasn't that crazy, but some reaction like this. And then when you go there, you're like, why are people thinking this? Like, why is that even a thing out there in the world? And especially through the media, right? So many things get infused into you because you see it through a certain lens. And already just watching media from another country will help you a lot. What I also wanted to say, actually, it's not only about traveling the world because I know not everybody can afford it. It's not the best thing for the environment. There are a lot of negative sides also from traveling the world. Obviously, there are sustainable ways, but what I would encourage everyone is to, I actually did an episode on the podcast called How to Be Global from Your House or from While Being at Home, and just like interacting with people from different cultures online. So for example, best example with Nomads Giving Back, I've never met any of those guys like ever before in my life. I just know them through the screen and I can already feel like what Tariq in, in Bali thinks just because we interacted through the screen. So it's not only about going to places up the sea. If you have the chance, I would highly encourage you to do it. But this is not the thing you have to do to learn about other cultures. It's being open-minded on screen, maybe join international organizations like or volunteer somewhere or just watch media from another news channel. That will already change your worldview. Well, and the other thing, particularly with Europe, but also the United States or, or other countries like that, is that it's not just right like these racialized sort of views about, you know, dangerous people or things like that. It's not just about, oh, if you go over there to their country. No, we have all of these refugees that are coming to Europe, that are coming to the United States, and we get this hyper-racialized you know, rhetoric about the danger and other negative attributes of refugees and things like that. And so right in people's home country, right, they can put into action sort of what you're saying, right? Yeah. And I think it's also a culture of welcoming people, right? Again, it's this right or wrong. I feel like a lot of the times, I mean, especially with like the US and Germany, they have very strong cultures themselves. And they might not be the most like open and welcoming to totally different cultures. Let's put it that way. Not gen- not everywhere, but generally also Germans are considered as like cold, not hugging people kind of stuff. So it's this mix of like bringing a total foreign culture with like prejudice on like, oh, the women are wearing the the scarves around the head because the men are forcing them to do so, right? I'm like, did you actually ever in your life talk to someone about this? Like some for sure, you know, there are like some religions, very radical religions and like practices in some countries where this might actually be the case. But this is not like everyone. This is maybe a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of what you hear from the news. But I encourage everyone like, go out there and just be curious and like actually ask on like, Hey, I saw that you're wearing something traditional. What is that all about? Right. And that already changes the whole conversation. Yeah. And just have some compassion and some empathy about what these human beings have been through and why they're refugees in the first place that are coming to your country. And if you were a refugee, how nice would it be if you got to a foreign place that you're not familiar with and someone was welcoming to you and gave you, you know, love and compassion and empathy when you arrived. Right. So So I think a lot of these things we can practice in whatever country we're in with people that are just coming to our own country and we can welcome them and be compassionate and empathetic sort of global citizens within our country and welcome the rest of the globe and do what we can to support from from there. In addition to, of course, when we are traveling. So those are awesome, awesome tips. 
Sarah, let me ask you one more question and then we'll move into the lightning round and wrap this up. I'm wondering at this point in your life, you've done all this travel, you've had all these experiences and all this kind of stuff. Why do you continue to travel the world? What do you get out of it at this point in your life? What does travel mean to you? Oh, I feel like this is so deep, you know, <laughs> inside of me in my heart. Because I've been traveling so much, because I met so many people, I can see there's so much work to do. You don't know again, right? Once you start, you see like, okay, this is bigger than I am. This has to last longer than I can live on this earth, but there's so much work to do. And honestly, also what I want to do is, I grew up in a German environment, so I know kind of the culture and where the people are coming from. And especially, for example, my childhood friends or anyone who is, quote, like me from the looks. If I tell them something, they might listen a tiny bit more than if someone who looks totally different from a totally background doesn't understand the upbringing, they might not listen in the same way to this person. I mean, do I like this fact? No, no. <laughs> you know, I don't like this fact, but sometimes I would read it off to be, you know, more like the, the opening to the world for other people who are like on the totally other side who never jumped out of this thing. Right. Obviously not saying that I will speak up in behalf of someone, but I'm constantly want to speak up for and with, especially with other communities and bring more on like, hey, they do it different. But have you considered doing this as well? It's pretty cool, actually. And it's not how you think it is. So this is why I continue doing this. And my big dream, you know, I'm saying it now all the time. So maybe someone is watching from Netflix. Hello, Netflix. I would love to actually create a documentary episode on like bringing those like differences out there and really showing the world that they're not that big of a difference. It's like the core is all the same, just how we package it around it is different. So in case you have a Netflix producer as a, you know, listener, <laughs> hit me up or like, I also take Amazon Prime. That's also totally fine. <laughs> you know, like any big platform where how to be global really comes to fruition on like, because we will be so much more connected, like cultures will melt together. So we better learn how to actually communicate and live together, right? <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Sarah, at this point, are you ready to move in to the lightning round? I'm very ready. <laughs> Let's do it. The lightning round. All right. What is one book that has significantly impacted you over the years you'd most recommend people read? Think Like a Monk from Jay Shetty. It's a very recent book. Disclaimer, I'm not into spiritual things usually. I'm very practical logic. But this book is incredible because he combines the very practical approaches I usually take in life with more of a higher power understandings because he was a monk. And he combines it in a way that also practical brains like I can actually use them and understand them. <laughs> Nice. I will check it out. And we will link this up in the show notes as well for everybody else to check out. All right, Sarah, who is one person that's currently alive today that you've never met that you would most like to have dinner with? Just you and that person for an evening of dinner and conversation. So it's a classic one, but Oprah. But to be honest, Oprah is such a great figure in so many different ways for women, for underprivileged, for like all the different things. And I would just love to feel the energy around her and just learn from her 
while being at dinner. I mean, it's a classic one, but I had to say her. <laughs> awesome. All right. So knowing everything that you know now, if you were able to go back in time and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Sarah? I would say stop worrying about so many things because they're changing all the time anyway. <laughs> awesome advice. All right, Sarah, of all the places you have been to in the world up to this point, what are your top three favorite travel destinations you would most recommend people check out? Yeah, so we talked about all three already today. Number one is Albania. And a very close number two is actually Mexico, where I'm right now. And number three, I would highly recommend Malta because it's such a special place. So we talked about all three today already. <laughs> awesome. All right. What are your top three bucket list destinations? These are places you've never been highest on your list. You'd most love to see. I love to travel to destination, quote, nobody goes to, right? Not a lot of people go to. So I would love to go to a place like Kazakhstan, for example, or Azerbaijan, but also Mongolia, because these are such interesting culturally places where also the nature and the culture is so untouched because not a lot of influences the year from other countries and not so many foreigners. So these would be my top three destinations. That's awesome. So I just did Azerbaijan for about a month in wow. 2019. Super oh, fascinating place. I think it's a really, really interesting place to go. And then after Azerbaijan, then I did Mongolia. So I'll tell you the route. Here's my recommendation. Are yeah. you ready? <laughs> So yeah, so Azerbaijan, fascinating place, right? I mean, the history of Zoroastrianism, I mean, fire temples, like really, really interesting place. I spent about a month there in Baku, and then I went up to Russia, and I got the Americans can get a 30-day visa for Russia. I don't know how long Germans can get, but I was able to get 30 days, and I spent two weeks between St. Petersburg and Moscow, and then I took the Trans-Siberian Railway wow. and I took the Trans-Mongolian route. Okay. So you go from Moscow and I did this with like 30 nomads. There was an event called the Nomad Train, which is like run by Russian nomads. We had people from all over the world. Oh my it was, gosh, it was that's absolutely amazing. wild. It was amazing. So we did. And so we went on the Trans-Siberian Railway from Moscow all the way across Siberia and then down across the border into uh, Mongolia. And uh, the trip ended in Ulaanbaatar. And then we spent some time in Ulaanbaatar. And then we went and we took like camels, went across the Gobi Desert. And it has absolutely stunning scenery, super, super interesting place. So I think those are really, uh, really awesome picks. So when you're ready to schedule that trip, definitely hit me up and I will totally, give you will. some tips on it because those are amazing places. All right, Sarah, I want you to let folks know how they can find you, follow you, connect with you, and how they can check Check out your podcast. Season two is coming up. Let them know what they can expect for that. And also how they can just kind of plug into all the awesome stuff that you're doing and learn more about you. Totally. So thank you so much for, first of all, having me on the show and then also sharing what I do. The easiest thing is go on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts and just type in how to be global. That's it. You can find me on Instagram, either also on How to Be Global or Sarah Rapp. It's my usual name on all platforms. But the place where you can find most information is probably on Instagram. And I'm very excited to relaunch my websites where you then can also donate if you want to, to the scholarships. We're making them even bigger and like also helping the kids not only with their education, but also with like water supply in the schools, because 
we are just adjusting to the needs in especially Ghana Accra over the pandemic. And then you will have multiple options. And soon there will be hopefully also more things where you can participate on like advocacy pieces, speak up for what you believe in. Much more to come. How to be global. Just check it out. Amazing. We are going to link all of that up in the show notes. So folks can just go to one place, just go to themaverickshow.com, go to the show notes for this episode. There you're going to see everything we talked about in this episode, the books that Sarah recommended, all of her social media handles, her website, her podcast links, how to contact her, find her, all that stuff in one place. Go to themaverickshow.com, go to the show notes for this episode. There you will find it. Sarah, this was so amazing. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you so much. And hopefully see you soon on my podcast as well. <laughs> I would love to be on your podcast. Yeah, hit me up. We'll do, we'll turn the tables and you can uh, have me in the, uh, in the interview seat and let me know about your itinerary in the US. And if we're overlapping here, it would be absolutely amazing to connect in person. That would be amazing. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber to get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals. Schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consult. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook.